Mark is going to come and read the passage of scripture to us, after which Peter will be preaching. The reading is taken from James and the whole of chapter 1 and can be found on the few Bibles on page 1213. Page 1213. <clears throat> James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the, of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and, un and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life as the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, but God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of the truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of our Lord. Father, we ask that you will give Peter the words to enable us to enter into this scripture and to understand your will for us and to apply it to our own lives. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. I think the weather is testing our building. (laughs) Various drips and uh, leaks, I think, are being found as we go around the, the, the building. So if you spot a leak... Tell someone, I think, probably is the, is the thing. Uh, so it is testing the waterproofness of our church. Um, also, just to, uh, uh, John did, an- did announce that the bishop's coming next week, Bishop Mark, but uh, it's also a 10 o'clock start. It's a joint service. So uh, it's 10 o'clock again um, with Bishop Mark here next Sunday to tell those who aren't here today who may not be on email because Joyce, I'm sure, will email that out this week. Well, uh, we are beginning a a new sermon series today. We're looking at the letter of James, the book of James in the New Testament. Uh, A group of us went to Spring Harvest after Easter, as I I know you know. And uh, at Spring Harvest, we had teaching on this letter. Uh, And uh, we had it in the Bible studies. We had had this uh, teaching in the evenings as well. And so we were treated to uh, wonderful teaching all that week. So I thought I'd bring this series back. Uh, to us here at Christchurch. And the titles for these five sermons on this book all have very punchy names, and uh, they're taken from the book that I bought at Spring Harvest. Uh, And the the title of this first talk is Face It, and then the other four chapters in the book, uh, the, the titles for the sermons are Live It, Tame It, Lose It, and then finally Finish It. Uh, there will be other people preaching on this series, so you'll hear other perspectives other than mine, uh, which I think is a good thing. So, who was James? Well, most commentators uh, believe he was the brother of Jesus, and I agree with that. Uh, uh, James is named as the eldest brother of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. And he's probably not a believer until after the resurrection because you get this uh, story told in in Mark chapter 3 where uh, Jesus is 
told that his, his family, his brothers and sisters, are outside the house where he's teaching. And then Jesus asks the question, well, who, who are my brothers and sisters? Uh, and, and so it's the, the implication being is that at that point, his brother James actually isn't yet a believer. Uh, then James is named again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. He's named as one of the particular people that Jesus appears to in person after the resurrection, and that's probably the point when he becomes a Christian. Well, you would, wouldn't you? You know, if Jesus appears to you in person, you know, you know, haven't got much choice really, but no, probably that's when he actually becomes a believer, uh, when Jesus appears to him particularly. Uh, but the main thing to note about James is that he's a pastor. He's a church leader. And uh, we, we see that particularly in Acts. So in Acts chapter 15, when there's a big conversation going on, a big discussion, a big debate going on in the early church about, well, is the church just for Jews or is the church actually for Gentiles as well? Uh, James is part of that discussion that's going on in Jerusalem in the early church. And he's one of the leaders who, who, who says that, uh, that God is actually widening the church to make it for Gentiles as well as Jews. Uh, and so he is a, a leader. He's a church pastor. And as a pastor, he's concerned for the church and the faithfulness of the church to the teachings of our Lord Jesus. And so in the very first verse of his letter, we see who he's writing to. So if you've got it open before you, please do do that. Um, it's uh, the very first verse. It says, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. And so he's writing to the church that's scattered. The church has been, um, you know, pushed out from just Jerusalem all, all across the Mediterranean into the Roman Empire. And he's writing in about AD 49. That's when the scholars think he was writing his letter. And so that is very soon after the resurrection. It's only 20 years or so after Jesus has ascended to the Father in heaven. And so the, the, the church, as I said, is scattered. It's across the Roman world, uh, and it's away from Jerusalem where it all started. And the point of his letter, the main uh, purpose of his letter, is to enc encourage Christians in their faith. It's, it's to say to Christians, be distinctive as Christians. Be determined to be people of the way. And you'll see that message will come through his letter again and again. And uh, if you want a verse that, that shows that in the first chapter, well, the clearest verse is verse 22, where he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Let me illustrate. Now, I know you're all very trendy people, and I wonder if anybody's got one of these lovely iPhones. Who's got, anybody here got, oh, here we are. Over there's got one. Uh, uh, oh, Mark's got one. Um, well, if, you, if you've got one of these wonderful devices, uh, let me just switch mine on and put it on. Uh, you, uh, you might have what they call apps on a, a phone or an, an iPad or, you know, another sort of phone or another sort of device. Uh, and those of you who've got, like Fred or Mark, you've got a, a, an iPhone or an iPad, you'll know that these apps, you can add on to your phone. You can go onto the app store and you can say, I want an app that will tell me how to get to Tanzania or 
and I want an app that can tell me how to fix my tap, or whatever it is. So you can get an app that you can put onto your, uh, onto your phone. And, and then, you <clears throat> then the idea is that you access it. So, I mean, the weather one is one I use all the time because our weather's changing all the time, so it's just a useful one to have. Now, Fred, Mark, or maybe even Sarah, have you got apps on your phone that you never use? Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly have. I've got, I've got apps on here that I've never used. Um, there's one I could, I could even access the stock market on my phone, and I never do. Maybe I should. I don't know, but I don't. <clears throat> but the point of these wonderful things called apps is that actually they're, they're useless unless you use them. They're applications. You know, they can sit on your phone, they can be on your iPad. If you don't actually access them, if you don't apply them, if you don't do the application, actually there's no use to them. There's pointless, it's pointless. And that's what James is saying through his letter. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so you say, we, you know, we might say we're a Christian and we, you know, we come to church and we do all the right things. And, you know, up here we assent mentally to the truths about Jesus Christ. And, and yet we don't necessarily live it out in our lives, he's saying. And so his, his concern is, is to, to the Christians of then and the Christians of all time through Scripture is, is to, you know, to live out what you believe in our day-to-day lives. That's his main thrust, his purpose in saying what he says. There's a story told of President Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt. And he had, as presidents do, they have long lines of visitors that come to the White House, to their functions, to receptions. And so one day he had this long line of guests who were saying hello to him and thanking him for his hospitality one day at the White House. And he complained that no one really listened to him. No one really paid attention to what he said. And so one day during one of these receptions, he decided to try an experiment. And so to each person who came down the line, who got to him and then shook his hand, he, he, he would murmur, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And the guests would respond with phrases like, oh, marvelous. Keep up the good work, Mr. President. We're proud of you. God bless you, sir. And it wasn't until the end of the line, right through to the end of the line, that the last person to greet him and to, to say hello to him was the ambassador from Bolivia. And, and, the, and he actually heard what the president said. And the ambassador leant over and said to Mr. Roosevelt, Mr. Roosevelt I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> well, how attentive are we to God's word? How, you know, do we, James is saying, where do we need to make some steps in our lives to live in a way that glorifies Jesus. That's what he's saying. And these are the kinds of questions that James raises up as we read his letter. Now, we don't have time to go through all of James this morning. It's, it's, a, it's a long chapter, but I want us just to focus on the, the last chunk from verses 19 through to 27 or 26. Um, and and Jesus, um, James starts by getting to the very heart of the problem And so he says in verse 19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. 
Now, we looked at that in the Bell series, didn't we? The listen theme is really important. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, that's good advice. No, listen to each other's good advice, isn't it? Obviously, that's, that's part of what we ought to do, should do as brothers and sisters, to, to, to listen to each other. How much more so should we listen to God? Uh, we should be quick to listen to God and slow to speak, says James. Give God time to, to speak to us. We need to listen to him, what he's saying to us, before we then start sort of saying what we want to say to him. In the primary school this week, we've, they've had this, what they call worship week, and uh, it's been actually more about prayer, really. But, um, and I've sort of tried to say to the children, prayer is a two-way communication. It's, it's not just us saying things to God or writing things in a prayer. It's actually us taking the time to try and listen to him. And, and that's a lifelong thing to learn about, really, isn't it? It's, it's something that we're all learning is, is how we do that, to take the time just to hear what God is saying. And so James is saying, if you want to be serious about following Jesus, then you need to listen. Listening to the Spirit is the first step in discipleship of Jesus. It's the first of many steps. But J- James is saying, well, this is something we've got to try and get right. Listen to the voice of Jesus. The second thing he then talks about in this part of the letter is he, talks, he, he, he says there's some pruning to do. And he says there's, there's stuff to get rid of in our lives. There's stuff going on in our lives that's no good. And, and he says this very strongly. He says in verse 21, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, who amongst you is a gardener? I know there are gardeners out there because I, I do. Uh, I know lots of you are gardeners. Uh, uh, now, I am not an expert gardener. Uh, you know, I am not. I am learning. Um, I am what you call, might call a hack and a hope gardener. I'm a hack and hope gardener. What I do is I tend to, my tendency, and I'm learning, my tendency is to get out there and just get rid of stuff. You know, get rid of the weeds, get rid of the brambles, get rid of the, the stuff that I know shouldn't be there. And some, sometimes I don't even know if it should be there or not, but I, I kind of think it shouldn't be there, so I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to hack it away. And then I hope, I then hope that having got rid of it, having hacked it out of the way, I'm, I'm then hopeful that the right stuff will grow where the, the bad stuff has gone. You know, it's gone. So the, the good stuff is going to grow, isn't it? Now, you, you know that that's not the way to do it because you're better than I am at gardening. And, and you know, th- those of you who are gardeners, and I are absolutely impressed by this, you know, the fact that you can get out there in the rain, hail, snow, shine, and everything, you get out in all seasons, and you look after the garden, you tend it. You look after it. You, you, you're planting and weeding and, and tending, all these wonderful things that gardeners do. And I end up so jealous of the gardens I see, which are so wonderful. But James, James says something similar. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. He says, get rid of it. Get rid of the weeds. Get rid of the brambles. Get rid of the dirt. Get rid of the rubbish, he says. Now, you might hear James at that point and say, oh, I don't have moral filth in my life. You know, I, d- I don't have such a thing. But this is James, you see, through and through, this is James. He doesn't pull his punches. 
And so we hear that verse, and probably our immediate reaction is to say, hold on, I don't, I don't have that in me. I, I'm not like that. Although we might tell a little white lie here and there, we might watch something on TV that isn't so good for us now and again. But, you know, essentially, I'm not like that, we want to say. Now, remember James is a pastor. He's a pastor. He's about application. And his concern is that Christians are to be real about their lives. You know, to be real about how they're living before God. And he's saying, be honest. He's saying, face up to what you're really like. He's saying, I want to help you to deal with that in your life, to deal with that stuff you know that shouldn't be there. You know, like the weeds, like the brambles. He says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. And let God grow good things in you. So that you can humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And so what James is saying to us, he says, I want you to have a good look at God's law. Take a good long look at God's law, at his word. And to do that, we've got to do some pruning. We've got to do some weeding. We've got to get rid of some stuff. So that God can plant the good things in there that will grow to honor him. We need to rid those things in our lives that will stop us spending time with him, stop us or prevent us uh, worshipping him. So at this point, I, just, I want us just to have a pause, just for a very short time. And I want to have a pause. I want you to have, just have a think for a moment and a reflect and a, a little pray with God in your own heart. And I want you to think, you know, is there one thing in your life that you need to get rid of? And is there one thing that you need to put into your life that's good? Let's just have a pause. Let's have a pray on our own before we move on. Now, it's probably the case if you've said to God, I want to get rid of something. I want to get rid of that. I need to, or I need to put that good thing in. It's probably the case that, you know, you need to come before God again and again and say that to him, to be real with him, to be honest with him about the struggle, whatever it is, the struggle that you've got or, or, or that, that you need something good in your life. And that's why prayer ministry is so important. You know, we offer prayer ministry from time to time at this service, but, you know, we don't need to be on our own. As Christians, we've got Christians around us who can pray for you, who can pray for you. So please don't feel on your own uh, in uh, whatever that is. So please, if you want to speak to me afterwards, I'll pray with you. I'm sure others will as well uh, as we become more Christ-like. But James says, listen to the word of God. Get rid of what's in the way. But he also says, live it. Do it. And good discipleship doesn't just happen by accident. It's, it's, a, it's a purposeful thing. It's an intentional thing. Just as those of you have got wonderful, beautiful gardens, they don't just, just happen by accident. There's work that you need to put in to make them like that. So I want to invite Mark to come and join me at the front uh, because Mark's got experience of, um, of doing something that is hard work, that takes work, 
um, and, and there's parallels with what he's going to talk about um, that uh, will help us to think about our discipleship. So come on up, Mark. And um, now, it's marathon running, isn't it? But, yeah. Yes. Um, now, Mark, I've asked Mark to talk to us about the process by which he has been able to run a marathon. So, uh, Mark, over to you. Just, just tell Thanks, us. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, there's a, there's a number of things that matter. Um, first of all, you need the support of your family and friends because there's no doubt about it that during the training for a marathon, it will impact upon them and upon yourself as well. It's a commitment. Um, you can't just run a marathon. If you want to do well, you do need to train. And there's a 16-week training program. It covers a number of disciplines, not just running like you normally run, but fast running, jogging, sprinting. Uh, and all of those disciplines are important to prepare you for the marathon. And you need commitment, because when it's chucking it down like it was this morning, and you're due to do your long run, are you going to get up out of bed and do it? Or are you going to listen to that little voice that says, no, don't bother, stay in bed, have another cup of coffee? So you've got to have commitment to get out there and do it. You need the right equipment. Um, you need the right shoes, even the socks, um, shorts that fit properly, and a top that takes away the perspiration. All of those things will help you to um, be free of pain and injury uh, and, and, and keep you comfortable as well. So that's important. Nutrition. Um, you can't just carry on eating those donuts and cream cakes. You have to think about what you put into your body. You have to think about carbohydrates uh, and protein. Um, and then, obviously, water as well. Plenty of water. Hydrate yourself. Keep yourself you know, well hydrated. Then you have the actual race on the day. Um, and you need the support of the people as you're running down the, where, as I was, the, it was London Marathon. People are shouting at you, giving you encouragement. Some of those people are marathon runners themselves, who've done it themselves. Some of them aren't, They're, and maybe some of them are thinking about how they'd like to do it. And you'll probably find as well that as you're running along, you'll come along somebody who's perhaps just struggling a little bit. And you can actually give them support and encouragement to keep going and keep going. And you yourself may be that person that needs that support and help as well during the actual race. And when you get to the end of the race and you cross that finishing line, and you've, you stop running, your legs feel heavy, you feel tired, you feel a little bit of pain, but I tell you what, the euphoria of crossing that line takes away all of that, and you're on a high having done that. So that's what running a marathon's all about, and what you need to do to do it. Thank you, Mark. Very, very good. Thank you. Now, do you get the parallels as Mark's been talking about, and, and his training, his preparation with what James is saying to us as Christians. Now, I've never run a marathon, and if I tried to do it tomorrow, I'd probably, I don't know what I'd do, but, but it's, it's a, it's a, as, as Mark said, it's a process of training. It's a, there's a series of things to, to, to do to get ready for the event. He's talked about support. He's talked about the right uh, material, the right uh, accessories, if you like. He's talked about the, the, the event itself, the finish line, you know, the cheering of those who are around, those who, who are doing it, and actually getting to the end and the elation of that. Yes, a huge tiredness, but the elation as well of it. And that's, that's, that is so, the, the analogies, that's why St. Paul uses running as an analogy in his letters so much, is that the analogies are all over the place with us as Christians. Because we can, we can, 
say that we're going to do the race, or we, we can say we're going to go out there and do it, but actually we want another cup of coffee, we're going to go and stay in bed. And James says, well, it's all very well saying you're going to go and do this Christian life thing, but actually you're going to have to get out of bed and do it, and you're going to live it. And so that's what his letter's about, is, is saying you've got to train, you've got to take it step by step. You can't just go out there and run a marathon, you've got to get ready. Now, as James says, this do what it says thing, you know, don't really listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what, it's, do what it says. Um, you might be thinking, well, hang on, aren't we saved by faith? You know, isn't that one of the tenets of, of our faith? Is it, is it you know, we, we're not saved by our works, we're saved by our faith. And so, you know, we might sort of hear the word, uh, we might say, yes, we're a Christian, but well, what are, you know, I, that's it. I'm accepted. Well, the analogy, again, another analogy might be that, you know, listening to a sermon, as you're doing at the moment. You know, you listen to a sermon as the preacher's preaching. And you might, after the sermon or after the service, come up to the preacher and say, well, that was a fine message, Peter. That was, that was great. I really got a lot out of that today. Thank you very much. Or it might even be, well, you went on a little bit too long today. You know, a bit less would be great. But as James would say, it's the application that counts. It's the application that counts. And so any sermon that you hear, any Bible teaching that you hear, has only power, the power in that is translated into action. And it's when it's the lived out in the other six days of the week, or your front line, whatever it is, that's, that's where that word that you hear is lived out. That's where the power of that sermon is, or that Bible teaching is. And that's why James is so concerned that we're growing in our faith, that we are training in our faith, that we're encountering Jesus in his word, and as we live out our lives, that we know who Jesus is and what he wants for us. Now, looking on a little bit further in uh, this, this little bit of his letter, in verses 22 to 25, he then has a somewhat strange illustration. And he uses the example of someone looking into a mirror. He says, those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in a mirror and after looking at themselves, go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the word and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, that, that's uh, what he's saying. Uh, you might have missed it. But there's basically two ways you can look in a mirror. You can sort of, the quick glance as you go out the door, or the sort of the longer look, if you like, as you look at yourself in a mirror in detail. And so James is comparing that with the way we can look at God's Word, or look into God's Word. And he says, you know, sometimes we can have a sort of superficial surface look at the Word, you know, like a quick glance in the mirror before you go out of the door. You know, you might read a chunk of scripture. You might feel good about yourself. Oh, I read, I read this bit of scripture today. Aren't I good? I, I, you know, I'm a good Christian. I've read a bit of scripture today. Or, you know, we might feel holy. We've spent time in prayer and say, oh, I, you know, God, I'm so holy. I prayed today. You know, aren't you impressed? Um, but that's a kind of glancing in the mirror kind of look. That's what he's saying. But he's saying there's more to it than that. He's saying when we read God's word, when we spend time with him, we consider who he is and we allow him to consider us. You know, it's not just a glance, it's, a, it's a, a good look in a mirror. 
Um, I, I, don't, I don't do this. I don't, honestly. I, you know, I don't stand in the mirror and look at myself for ages and look at every kind of... I don't. But, you know, some people do. I don't. But it's that kind of look at the really good look at yourself. That's what he's saying. And that's how he's saying we need to treat God's word. It's, it's, it's letting God's word look at us. To stare back at us. So that God can, you know, in a sense, take us in and we can take him in, in his majesty, in his holiness. And it may be a bit of a scary thought, but it's, it's an amazing thought. But, you know, when we truly listen, when we truly examine ourselves, when we truly respond, then God does stuff in us. Let's reread verse 25. But those who look intently into the word and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so when we look intently into the mirror, when we hear the word, we accept the word, when we go out and do the word, there's a transformation. And in case you don't know what that looks like when God transforms you, James points it out in the last two verses. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, it's a bit of a shift in gears at that point, but when you understand what he's saying, it makes sense. He's saying when you let God's word affect you, when you not only hear it but accept it and you determine to do it, then three things will happen, he says. You'll keep a watch on what you're saying. You'll seek purity in your life. And it will drive you to find ways to help others to find purity and holiness. Especially those who can't help themselves. Sorry, I got that, got that slightly wrong. It will, it will help you to, to, to keep what you're saying. It'll help you to keep yourself pure. And it'll help you to help those who are in need of help. And those three things, those big themes of, you know, how we use our tongue, how we keep ourselves pure, how we help those who need help, those three things are what will become the three big themes of his letter. And so James the pastor wants us to learn. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be determined in our discipleship. He wants us to listen for God, accept what is said and act on it. And then, he says, we'll be transformed. Transformed into the, into the disciples, Jesus has called us to be. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this letter. Thank you that it is what it is. It's, it's hard-hitting, it's punching, it's practical, it's down to earth. And Lord, as we consider this letter over the next few weeks, Lord, may we be open to what it's saying to us. May we seek your transformation in our lives to the glory of Jesus. Amen.